0: What's up, guys? This is SGR number 75. We are back today talking about the Minnesota Vikings... Going to continue to break down the NFC North. We did the Packers yesterday. Vikings came up a few times. You know, hard to talk about the pack without talking about their competition for the division. And I do honestly believe that the Vikings are going to give the Packers some competition in the division this year. They have not been too competitive, missing the playoffs each of the last two seasons. Um, But obviously, new coaching staff, new general manager as well. So, a lot of changes this offseason. And we are going to talk about. About it And uh, like I said, see if this Vikings team can be a little bit more competitive, maybe make a playoff push this season. So they went eight and nine last year in the final year of head coach Mike Zimmer uh, being, uh, you know, up in Minnesota there. Um, he was the head coach from 2014 to 2021. And uh, like I said, last two seasons, both losing seasons, missing the playoffs. Um, have not been able to get back to form since that one kind of flukish uh, 13-3 and season in 2017 led by Case Keenum. Uh, this team thought that Kirk Cousins would be the upgrade to get them there over the hump, and then they kind of have had some regression, especially on the defensive side of the ball over the last few seasons. Um, a lot of rumors, a lot of tension between Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins. I don't think Zimmer was the biggest Kirk fan. I don't know if Kirk was the biggest Zimmer fan. So, something had to happen here. They had way more money invested in Kirk Cousins. They've continued to invest money in Kirk Cousins. And, uh, you know, the offense has been pretty solid lately. So, I don't know. Kirk isn't the most clutch guy, but he's actually been putting up some pretty solid numbers of recent years. So, Um, Like I said, 8-9 last year finished uh, with a 9-8 coverage record against the spread. So 52.9 against the spread, just barely profitable over that 52.4 threshold. Uh, Second in the NFC North, missing the playoffs, finishing ninth in the NFC. The offense was 14th in points per game, 25.0. 12th in yards per game, 362.8. The defense, which is really supposed to be the strength of a Mike Zimmer-led football team, has not been good, again, specifically over the last two years, a pretty substantial drop-off. We've seen a drop-off in the secondary um, since uh, you know the elite play of Xavier Rhodes has left this organization. Um, we'll talk about that later. But this defense finished 24th in points per game last year, giving up 25.1%. And 30th in yards per game, 383.6. Their turnover margin, actually very good. Fifth best in the NFL at a plus 11 turnover margin, yet giving up too many points, too many yards. Um, Not good. Not good overall. That's how you miss the playoffs. Um, Like I said, Mike Zimmer's gone. And there's a new coaching staff, a new GM. Let's talk about the GM real quick because it's actually funny. Part of the reason that I wanted to sneak the NFC North in this week is because they've been talked a lot, uh, talked about a lot uh, this week in sports media. Um, obviously, the Packers are constantly in the headlines, and Aaron Rodgers is one of the most talked about players in the league, back-to-back MVP, coming into training camp, looking like Nick Cage out of Con Air this week, definitely grabbed a lot of uh, uh, camera time on those, uh, you know, mainstream networks that only have seemingly two things to talk about every day. Um, and then the Vikings, you know, they grabbed some headlines this week, not as much as Aaron Rodgers, obviously, but their new general manager, Kwesi Adofo Mensah, um, had a pretty controversial quote that hit the uh, public record this week about quarterback Kirk Cousins Um, the paraphrasing he basically he said the one position you get nervous about not completely burning it down and, and starting over is the quarterback position he says you know unless it unless you have a guy like Brady or Mahomes in this league it's tough to win a Super Bowl and he essentially alluded to not having a guy of that caliber that's not really a great soundbite for your first one of your first public comments as the general manager of a team to say, "Yeah, you know, roster's pretty solid. I don't know if the QB's any good." How is that supposed to inspire confidence in the locker room or in Kirk Cousins? I mean, maybe you're trying to put a, a chip on Kirk Cousins' shoulder, but I think it's pretty clear he's already kind of got a chip on his shoulder. Um, and I don't see the upside to making a comment like that at all. Maybe say less next time, Quezzy. Kind of a rough start. Um, that being said, I like the off season that they had. So hopefully that comment, you know, a month or two from now when they start uh, winning games, gets pushed to the back burner. We have nothing else to talk about this time of year, so those things are going to become maybe a little bit more relevant um, when you know there's there's less content out there. So uh, they hired a new head coach this off season. Let's talk about that. His name's Kevin O'Connell, uh, recently come in from the offensive coordinator position with the LA Rams. We've alluded to it, you know, if you've ever shook hands or, you know, stayed at the same bed and breakfast as uh, Sean McVay or um, Shanahan, you're, you're probably qualified to at least get an interview for a head coaching job these days. That said, I actually, I like O'Connell. I don't know that much about him other than I did watch an interview with him on the Pat McAfee show where he impressed me from a personality standpoint. He seems like a very smart guy. I did some background on his uh, um, coaching career leading up to his time with L.A. over the last two years, so we'll run through this real quick. He was an NFL backup QB from 2008 to 2012. I think he was Brady's backup for a little while there in New England. Played college football at SDSU, San Diego. Um, Cleveland Browns QB coach in 2015. San Francisco 49ers offensive assistant 2016. Uh, Washington offensive assistant from uh, 2017 to 2019. He was their QB coach the first two years, and then that, in 2019 he was their OC, and then he went over to L.A. Uh, he was the Rams OC for the last two years, got himself a Super Bowl ring, and now a uh, head coaching job. Like I said, he met Sean McVay. So um, in all seriousness, I do believe this to be a coaching upgrade. Um, I was a Zimmer fan, but it was pretty clear this this locker room he had kind of lost over the last two years. The defense, like I said, once a Mike Zimmer team has a bad defense, I think it's all, I think, you know, you're past the point of no return and the defense was pretty garbage for two years in a row. He's kind of an old school guy. Um, I think he did a really good job his first five years or so with this franchise. But like I said, things got stale, a little bit of division between the coaching staff and the front office in terms of investment at the quarterback position. Zimmer's out and I think O'Connell coming in can really give this team a spark, at least in Year one, I think getting that new energy, a younger, more energetic head coach, like I kind of alluded to with uh, what Nick Nick Sirianni was able to do in Philly last year. I think O'Connell is going to be good for this organization at least this year initially, um, bringing some better energy and kind of a you know refreshing, revitalized locker room. Maybe um, he's got an offensive coordinator named Wes Phillips. Uh, he's bounced around the league quite a bit: Dallas, Washington, and the Rams. Um since two thousand seven, all the way up to twenty twenty-one. Uh Rams tight ends coach from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty-one. So he was there with O'Connell. Again, you know, we'll say it every time there's a new coach. They like to bring over guys that they've worked with previously. It's it's no surprise here. Defensive coordinator is Ed Donatell, uh college football coach from nineteen seventy-nine to nineteen eighty-nine. He's been an NFL coach since nineteen eighty-nine. The guy's been around the block. Not going through his whole history, but he was the defensive backs coach for the 49ers from 2011 to 2014 and the Bears from 2015 to 2018 before getting the defensive coordinator job under Vic Fangio with the Denver Broncos from 2019 to 2021. So a lot of experience there, been on some good uh, defensive units. I mean, if you look at the 49ers, the Bears, and the Broncos – it seems like over the last 10 years of this guy's career, everywhere he's gone, they've, ha- they've got a good defense during those times. So, I mean, good track record here, a lot of experience. Um, you would hope that a younger offensive-minded head coach would make a smart hire at that defensive coordinator position and kind of make, it sh- make sure that Donatel is just running the show over there and that O'Connell can focus on being a head coach for the first time and also, obviously, his expertise on the offensive side of the ball is what got him hired. So let's get into the uh, free agency breakdowns. Um, Not that many big names here that they lost, really, and I like some of the names that they brought in. So let's dive in. Tight end Tyler Conklin left after being uh, the starter for this team last year. Um, We'll talk about Irv Smith, who's the starting tight end, This year for the Vikings, he would have been the starter last year, but he got injured in the preseason or training camp. He didn't play a single game. So Conklin was the guy from day one and had a decent campaign last year. Um, He's in New York now with the Jets. Center Mason Cole has left. I think he signed with the Steelers, not a 1,000% on that. Savior Xavier, excuse me, safety. Yeah, he's the savior. Um, (laughs) Safety Xavier Woods is uh, no longer on the roster here in Minnesota. Linebacker Nick Vigil, uh, wide receiver Chad Beebe, um, son of uh, former Buffalo Bills great. um, And why am I blanking on his first name? I think it's Don Beebe, Um, but I'm really embarrassed that I can't remember that right now. Um, And uh, defensive end Sean Bauer is also not on this roster anymore. Yeah, it's Don Beebe. Don't know why I was blanking on that. Okay, so yeah, not that many big names there, right? Um, Chad Beebe was a guy who was more of a special teams contributor uh let's get into the guys that they brought in i really like what they did on the defensive side of the ball with these first three names here so um outside linebacker Zadarius smith we talked about on the packers episode coming over i think that's really going to help their uh, pass rush quite a bit and give them a strong uh pass rusher to pair on the other end of daniel hunter who's been low-key one of the better defensive ends from a pass rushing standpoint in the NFL over the last, uh, you know, five years or so. Um, Very good player. Physical specimen. Look at the guy's biceps. Just Google Daniil Hunter biceps um defensive tackle Harrison Phillips came over from the Bills and he looks to be a pretty good player starting on that defensive line for them linebacker Jordan Hicks came over from the Arizona Cardinals drafted by the Eagles has played well basically every time he's been healthy in his NFL career and teams continue to get rid of him I wanted, uh, you know, I I would like him to come back to Philly, or at least I have every time he's been available. I'd say, hey, Eagles, go sign this guy. We didn't extend him after his rookie contract because, again, he essentially missed two out of the four years on his rookie deal. But he's a good player, so I think he really uh, will help that linebacking core. Um, they did lose Anthony Barr this off season. I, I guess I didn't have him in key losses because I think he's still unsigned as a free agent. They're looking to get younger at the linebacking core and faster, I think, and better in coverage, which is, uh, you know, just a, pro- uh, you know, a byproduct of the more modern NFL with more pass happy offenses. Uh, offensive guard Chris Reed was brought in. Offensive tackle Jesse Davis, tight end Johnny Munt, uh, cornerback Chandon Sullivan, wide receiver Albert Wilson. Uh, He spent some time in Miami making flash plays, but has not been able to stay consistently healthy. Cornerback Nate Hairston and defensive end Jonathan Bullard round out the free agency additions. They re-signed a few guys here. Cornerback Patrick Peterson being the most significant. He's still uh, the number one corner on this team despite his age. And that's a little bit what I'm talking about, you know, They got to get younger on this defense. They've started to do that with the way that they drafted this year, but still um, need more talent at that corner position for me. Uh, They also re-signed backup QB Sean Mannion and cornerback Ty Smith. So I just mentioned briefly that they're trying to reinvest in youth and speed on that defense, and it really shows with their first few draft picks here. Really? Really? Almost the entirety of the draft was on the defensive side of the ball. They beefed up the O-line a bit as well. So round one, loved their pick, safety Lewis Seen out of uh, Georgia. think this guy is going to be a very good safety in the NFL, and they clearly need help in the secondary. That University of Georgia defense absolutely stacked with talent. Lewis Seen was a guy that I projected to be a first-round pick, but it was kind of, uh, is he going to slip into that back end or will he fall out into the early second? Uh, Vikings, I believe, uh, traded back into the first to get him at 32. Round two, I like this pick also. Again, secondary help, cornerback Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. This guy slipped further than I thought he would. I thought he would sneak into the first round. They grabbed him in the second. Injury concerns uh, in the pre-draft process, uh, I think he'll be a good player, and um, early beat reports indicate he's having a pretty good uh, summer and training camp so far. Um, again, those two players, I think if they can be contributors in the secondary, it would be huge for this team. And I think part of my optimism is that I do like those two picks and I think they both can contribute, especially in their rookie year. Um, they also had a second round two pick and they spent it on offensive guard, Ed Ingram out of LSU. Um, round three, another draft pick. I want to talk about real quick linebacker, Brian Asamoa out of Oklahoma, um, I think he's a really good player and a really good value for the third round i know one um scouting resource that's trusted pretty closely by nfl.com had him ranked in the f- top 50 uh prospects i thought he would be a second round pick as well i was surprised brian asamoah and the kobe dean both linebackers with a lot of range a lot of speed that dropped to the third round that I was surprised. But I think Asamoah is a guy, like I said, Anthony Barr no longer on this roster. Um, They have Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks, both uh, most likely the starting interior linebackers here. But, um, you know, both guys kind of in the, you know, not end of their career, but they're a little bit older. And Asamoah is a guy with youth and speed that, like I said, you know, If they have to move on from one of these guys at some point, Asamoah, I think, is a guy that can start for an NFL team. I actually think he can be a very key contributor in his rookie year as well. And I think he's like top five or top six in odds for defensive rookie of the year, despite being a third round pick. So he's a guy I'll keep my eyes on. A lot of speed at that linebacker position. I think he's he's pretty good in coverage as well from what I've been reading up on him. So uh, he was also a finalist for the um, Kiss Award this past year, which goes to college football's best linebacker. So Asamoah is a guy that I'm 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 interested in, and I think you know, like I said, if seen Booth and Asamoah all turn into studs on this defense, it, it, I think this team can turn around pretty quickly with with an offensive minded head coach that's going to be putting um, you know just better overall schemes in here, putting his uh, players in better positions. I think the receiving core that they have is going to really be a good fit for what O'Connell wants to do. We'll talk about it in the fantasy breakdown, but I think if O'Connell can get that offense humming and these young guys can contribute on defense, I'm optimistic this team takes an improvement this year. Rounding out the draft recap, another addition to that secondary round four cornerback, a Caleb Evans out of Mizzou. So let's get into the seasonal breakdown, the schedule, all that good stuff. They have the 16th-ranked strength of schedule. Nothing crazy, nothing special. We mentioned on the Packers breakdown, I mean, this division, being able to play teams like the Lions and the Bears for four games of your season always helps. They also play the NFC East, so they get the Giants, Commanders, Eagles, Cowboys, one of the weaker divisions typically. Let's just go through the whole schedule, preseason Raiders, 49ers, Broncos. They start with the Packers at home in Minnesota. Vikings currently plus two home underdog to the Packers. I um, like Minnesota there. I mentioned it on the Packers episode. Minnesota usually at home plays very well against the Packers. They upset them as a plus one underdog last year. As a four and five Vikings team taking on an eight and one Packers team, I picked the Vikings to pull off that upset at home last year. It's all about spots. These divisional games sometimes, you know, throw the record out, uh, especially at that point in the season for the Vikings. Desperately trying to stay in playoff contention against big brother Green Bay. That was essentially their Super Bowl where Green Bay could afford to lose the game. It's all about situational handicapping here at the SGR pod. I think the Vikings take that week one matchup and surprise a lot of people here and all of a sudden, oh no, are the Packers doomed after an 0 and 1 start. Um, Then they go to Philadelphia, a hostile crowd, tough place to play. I'm an Eagles fan. I won't pick it. It's kind of a toss-up game. I give the edge to Philly, but it's a winnable one. Let's go through this. Lions, Saints, Bears, Dolphins, Cardinals, Commanders, Bills, Cowboys, Patriots, Jets, Lions, Colts, Giants, Packers, Bears. So, some tough teams there. I mean, Bills, Patriots, Cardinals could be anything. This, I'm actually starting to lower my expectations for the Cardinals. I think the Saints are solid this year. They'll be better as well, but the Vikings, Saints is a toss up. Very winnable games here, though. I mean, Jets, Lions, Bears, uh, Giants, Commanders. Um, you know, obviously, Bears and Lions again. I think that this is a team, Dolphins, they can beat. Um, I think they'll be competitive. I mentioned that I think they have a shot, potentially an outside shot at the division. Um, and I've kind of laid out some of the reasons with the improved offense and the uh, youth on the defense. Their win total is 8.5. The over is once, excuse me, those were the old odds. Let me give you guys the updated odds. So, uh, I wrote odds down for this on July 13th. Today, date of recording is July 29th. So, this was two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Their win total was at 8.5. Over was minus 165. Under was plus 140. It has since moved up. I've done some research and I have scoured a couple of different sites, a couple of different books, and I found a couple of different prices on this. Uh, most, um, you know, mainstream books like your Fan Duels, your DraftKings, Kings, your Caesars, your MGMs have this team at nine and a half or nine wins right now. We have nine and a half over plus 105 under minus 125. We have nine wins exactly over minus 130 and under plus 110 now again it used to be eight and a half over minus 165 they bump it up a half win and they give us 35 points on the juice and it's nine wins over 130 i feel decent about that my concerns is that this team finishes exactly at nine wins did some shopping around actually found a price that i feel very 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 good about actually got a discount currently on one of my books from the price it was two weeks ago, I got over eight and a half wins minus 147 for this team, and I locked it in yesterday. This was my first win total that I bet of this season. I didn't really see it coming earlier in the offseason that the Vikings would be a team I'm willing to invest in so heavily, but I really like them from an over eight and a half wins perspective. If you can get nine, I think it's worth taking a stab at two because this team can win 10 games potentially 11. I think really, you know, those games head-to-head against the Packers are going to be huge for this divisional race. That's not a hot take that goes without saying, but I think, again, if Minnesota can snag that week one game and kind of have that, you know, week, you know, game or half game advantage week to week over Green Bay for a majority of this season, I mean... They get some pretty winnable games down the stretch there in the last six weeks with the Jets, Lions, Giants, and Bears. And, you know, some tough ones with the Colts, the Packers, you know, the Cowboys, the Bills, the Eagles, the Patriots. But realistically, some very winnable games here. I like the over eight and a half a lot. Their playoffs odds are, yes, plus 100, no, minus 115. And while, you know, a plus 100, even money bet is not really like my favorite. And I think there's a lot of competition in this NFC where they could potentially finish, you know, odd man out kind of last team on that bubble eighth seed. I'm not saying that's my favorite. I'd rather take them over eight and a half wins because if they win nine games and, you know, that's not enough to make the playoffs, so be it. But I like this team to be better, more exciting. The offense should be more explosive And I mentioned, you know, I really think that they can compete with the Packers. I'm not saying it's a lock, and it's a little bit bold, I guess, because it's a plus 300 shot at the division. But this is clearly the second-best team in the division, unless the Lions absolutely just go to the fucking moon this season. I don't think the Bears are any good. Spoiler for tomorrow's episode. Um Plus 300 for a team that I think can be within a game or so at the end of the season for the division, and God forbid if something happens injury-wise with the Packers, this is the Vikings division without a doubt, so plus 300 is a solid value to me for a team that actually has a shot. I will say that. Their conference odds are plus 2,000, 20-1, to 1, and their Super Bowl odds are 40-1 to 1 at plus 4,000, and... I almost kind of want to take a stab at that conference 20 to 1 cuz I do think this team can can be drastic, drastically improved from last year and instead of winning 8 games win 10 or 11. And uh I think the offense is going to be you know good. Like not just relatively I think they'll be very good to be honest this year. I think Kirk Cousins is an underrated guy. I don't think he's clutch I did not. I don't want to stand here and be. You guys can call me a Kirk Cousins guy if I. I don't really want that to be my label as a podcaster and as a a gambler. I, I don't. I'm not in the Kirk Cousins business necessarily. But he's put up some solid seasons over the last few years. And this team, I think, can win games. I mean, we saw Sean McVay, what he could do to elevate a guy like Matt Stafford to the next level in his career. And while I think Stafford is a substantial tier or two above Kirk Cousins in terms of talent, um, I think we could see a similar evolution in terms of Kirk's efficiency maybe going up even more. And... I mean, this is already a guy that threw 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and 4,200 yards last year. Pretty good numbers. And now you get a better, more efficient offense in place. I I have some optimism for this team. So while I don't love taking the shots on the conference and the Super Bowls, Kirk obviously not clutch in his past. Um, You could do worse as far as a team that I think can make the playoffs and maybe win a game or two. And these are always about getting increased value throughout the season, trying to head your way out, you can sell them for for profit on sites like prop swap, things like that, you know, you got to look into your options. But if you can increase value from a 40 to one to like a 15 to one over the course of a season, it's always good. So that's, that's it for me, you know, favorite bet for this team. And I really highly endorse it. If you can get win total over eight and a half, I really like it. I don't usually bet that many win totals this early in the summer because we haven't even played a single preseason game and so much can happen. And God forbid If a substantial injury happens on this team, my future is essentially dead in the water. But I noticed that this is being bet up. Like I said, I almost couldn't grab 8.5 anymore, as most books have between 9 and and 9.5 as the over-under. And so when I saw that I could get an 8.5 at a pretty solid price of only 147, I locked it in. Let's talk about fantasy for this team. And I mentioned I am excited to see what this offense does. I really am. Uh, specifically Justin Jefferson I think could just absolutely shatter fantasy football this season it's not a hot take a lot of people really think Jefferson could explode and it's not like he hasn't been dominant in his first two years you know he's the wide receiver three being drafted this year but I think it's it's warranted and he's kind of the highlight of this offense now Dalvin Cook's an exceptional running back but you know, Jefferson is kind of the face of this offense at this point, and I expect them to be a little bit more pass-heavy this year with the O'Connell-McVay you know, scheme. So let's talk about it. I mean, as far as honorable mentions, there's not much here. Their backup QB is Sean Mannion, who's not a guy that I have a whole lot of faith in to sustain you know, fantasy success if Cousins goes down. Uh, limited action throughout his NFL career. There's not many names, really, outside of the guys that you already know and that we've talked about. We're going to talk about Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison at the running back position. There's three relevant receivers, Jefferson Thielen and K.J. Osborne came onto the scene last year. Irv Smith is the starting tight end, but he didn't play a single game last year and is relatively unproductive and unproven, rather, throughout his career as a young guy still on his rookie deal. Um, So not really much to break down at the tight end position. And as far as receivers, you know, the names that I'm about to rattle off outside of those three main guys, I've never heard of, you've never heard of. Albert Wilson is the only guy I'm familiar with here, and he's actually in the third tier on the depth chart. So he's got three guys ahead of him on the depth chart. Their names are Amir Smith-Marset, B.C. Johnson, and Jalen Naylor. So, you know, good luck if you want to take a shot on one of those guys. I think this is an offense that will be running a lot more three receiver sets. In the past, it's been a lot of let's put Dalvin and maybe a fullback and a tight end or two, and then we got Jefferson and Thielen. That's pretty much it. But uh, I think Osborne's a guy that sees more snaps this year after having a decent campaign last year, being fantasy relevant for the first time in his career, actually finishing wide receiver 40 on the year. And uh, yeah, I I think there's improved opportunity for him as, again, more three receiver sets and more pass happy in this uh, offense. So, Kirk Cousins, surprisingly pretty solid for fantasy football, and I think that continues this year. Again, I have optimism about the passing game and Kirk Cousins, 33 touchdowns, 7 picks last year. He's being drafted, 123 overall, uh, QB 15. Last year, 150 overall, QB 18 in drafts. Finished QB 11, played 16 games, finished 12th in points per game, and has the 17th fantasy schedule for quarterbacks this year. He finished top 6 in 25% of his games. That was 12th best. Uh, Finished top 12 in 56.3% of his games. That was 10th best. Uh, finished a QB 2, 37.5%, and only busted out of the top 24 in one game, 6.3% of his performances. Obviously, that's good. We don't want guys busting. He does not have a high rushing upside, but he's pretty safe. You know, again, 10th uh, highest percentage of his games finishing in the top 12 at the QB position is pretty good for a guy who you're drafting at QB 15 this year with, again, an ability to elevate his game even more with the expansion of the three receiver sets, like I mentioned. Um That's the Kirk Cousins conversation. I think he's a pretty safe guy that if you want to just kind of punt the quarterback position this year, he's maybe not my favorite, and it might seem a little gross to be drafting Kirk Cousins. But to be honest, at the end of the day, if you have like a – if you want to just sit back and take like a pairing of Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr in your fantasy leagues, like both have you know potential to really put up better stats this year with the with the new offensive head coaches and you know the additional weapons at least with Devontae obviously coming over in Las Vegas. And I, I think there's potential for both passing offenses to be better. So if you don't want to invest heavily at the QB position, honestly, Cousins is not a bad option. Let's talk about the running backs. Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison are the two guys. I don't, I don't like drafting Madison in fantasy. I'm just going to say that up front. He is one of the more valuable handcuffs in the NFL. If Dalvin Dalvin Cook gets injured, which he typically does for at least a few games a season, you have a locked and loaded guy you can plug in to your roster as more often than not a top-24 running back with high RB1 upside. But again, I don't expect this offensive regimen to be as invested in the zone running scheme as Mike Zimmer's uh, regimen was. Um, I think, especially if Dalvin Cook goes down, they just kind of lean even heavier into the passing game. And again, you really... Madison's not a guy that's going to be stealing reps from Dalvin Cook. You need an injury for him to be relevant. I don't like it. So he's being drafted 126 overall, running back 44. I guess it's cheap enough in your draft where you're not really giving up a whole lot of draft costs. But, you know, again... I'd just rather have someone that I think has a higher ceiling. Unless Cook gets injured, uh, he has no value to me. Um, we'll finish the Madison recap, and then we'll do Cook, I guess. Uh, 128, or 126 overall, running back 44 last year. 151 overall, running back 48. Finished running back 39, 16 games, 55th in points per game. Um, top 12, 18.8% of the time, 32nd top, uh, consistency, uh, running back to 12.5% of the time, 53rd best. So he's a top 24 running back 31% of the time, 43rd best. And he busted outside of the top 36 in his other 69% of his games. So again, he's a guy that it seems like in the games where he's given opportunity, he's able to produce into the top 12 every now and then, but if he's not given touches, he's not going to do jack shit for you. That's kind of my take on Madison. Again, if Cook goes down week two, you just hit the jackpot, and he's a potential league winner. But it's just never something I really love doing is drafting handcuffs. I'm just not really into it. Dalvin Cook, on the other hand, obviously considered an elite fantasy player being drafted sixth overall in ADP this year, fifth at the uh, running back position. After being um, a general, on average, top two, top three pick last year, the ADP rankings I was looking at had him number two overall, number two at the running back position. He finished 16th overall amongst running backs, playing only 13 games. I mentioned he does miss games from time to time. Um, He was 11th in points per game, however, so still pretty good. Very consistent, very consistent. Let's dive into that a little bit. Top 12 running back 53.8% of his times. That's seventh highest percentage amongst running backs. Um, Running back two, 15.4% of the time, 44th highest percentage. And so when you put those together, his top 24 finish was 69.2% of the time. That was 10th highest percentage amongst running backs. So he is producing on a consistency level of a top 10 guy, although he finished uh where was it? 16th at the running back position last year. Um finished uh never finished a running back 3 between 25 and 36 on the season. Oh, excuse me, reading, that, reading Madison's numbers, finished a RB3 15% of the time and then busted out of the top 36 another 15%. So relatively low bust rate, relatively high consistency. Ability potentially this year to catch more passes, as I mentioned the offense changes, we could see that. Um, I guess your concerns with Dalvin are injury and I guess maybe age if Madison does start to steal snaps. How old is Dalvin? Dalvin's only 26. He was drafted in 2017. I'm not worried about the age for Dalvin. Not yet. Um, Also, maybe... No, I'm not going to... I was going to say maybe the injuries help him because he doesn't have as much mileage. <laughs> That's not a point that I'm going to be making here. That doesn't make any sense. But Dalvin, I feel pretty good about it. There's probably some guys that I feel better about. Um, I actually, you know... I'm not sure I'm taking him top 5 in fantasy drafts. I think he's more of a back end first rounder for me. There's guys that I guess I feel a little bit safer in their situation. Um, to me, I guess you have to start making this decision with Dalvin once you get past um Jonathan Taylor, uh Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. Um you know, Kamara's possibly got a suspension. Um Najee, it's like Najee or Cook, Eckler or Cook, uh, Joe Mixon or Cook. Like That's kind of the tier. I think I take Cook over Austin Eckler. Um, Najee's tough and Mixon's tough for me. It's kind of that conversation there. But I feel good about him as a first-rounder. Um, let's jump into the receivers, and we'll do a, a quick minute, maybe 60 seconds on Irv Smith. So the receivers, I think, is, is a really a position where you could get three very, uh, very fantasy-relevant wide receivers here in this offense. Justin Jefferson has the potential to finish as the top wide receiver in fantasy football this year. The guy is a monster. It brings great pain to my soul that he was the 22nd overall pick In the NFL draft and Jalen Rager was the 21st absolutely crushes me every time I have to talk about this guy he's being drafted seventh overall in fantasy as a first round pick this year wide receiver two right after Cooper Cup ahead of Jamar Chase Uh, last year being drafted in the third round at 23 overall wide receiver eight and he just continues to go off and put up big numbers wide receiver four last year playing a full season 17 games wide receiver five in points per game The guy's stats in his first two years, 3,016 receiving yards, 17 touchdowns, 196 catches. He's breaking franchise records set by Randy Moss. Don't overthink it. I think in a pass-happy offense, we saw what the Kevin O'Connell, well, I won't call it the Kevin O'Connell system because it comes from Sean McVay, but we saw how they used um a lot of motion in their offense, creating mismatches for their receivers, moving Cooper Cup around the formation, playing him out wide, playing him in the slot. Again, motion to expose coverages, getting him in mismatches in man man versus zone. You know, I think Justin Jefferson has the ability to do all of that. Maybe even a more explosive athlete than Cooper Cup, better at contested balls. The sky's the limit for Jefferson. If you wanna take him as the top receiver in your draft, I don't think you're crazy. I think Cup's a little bit safer, obviously. I'm definitely taking Jefferson over Jamar Chase though, without a doubt. The schedule's concerning for fantasy 28th against uh, the receiver position, so that's not inspiring, but I think this offense will look so different this year and Jefferson is such a bona fide number one that I'm not worried about it. Last year, in terms of consistency, Uh, Wide receiver in the top 12, 47% of the time, third highest percentage amongst receivers. Finished a wide receiver two, 23.5% of the time, 16th highest percentage. And so that put him in the top 24, 70.6% of the time, again, third highest amongst receivers. Uh, wide receiver 311% of the time, busted out of the top 36, 17% of the time. A little bit higher of a bust rate than you want to see, but I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, and those weeks where he does go off, he's a monster. Like, he'll win you your week. Dillon was also great for fantasy last year, and I was kind of fading Dylan. I didn't think he could keep up his insanely high uh, touchdown efficiency rates. Based on the number of targets he was getting, He was he'd score like 10... Touchdowns on like 60 catches, which is hard to repeat. But I think a lot of it is because he's got really good chemistry with Kirk Cousins. And so sometimes you have to take those intangible factors into play. I'm not doubting Dylan anymore. I actually think he's a really good investment at his draft cost, being drafted wide receiver 29 this year and finishing wide receiver 28 last year in only 13 games. Um, He also had, I think, 10 touchdowns last year. He just always is a double-digit touchdown guy. He's being drafted in the eighth round, 72 overall, after being drafted 50th overall last year in wide receiver 20. So, you know, he's going later in drafts, I guess, because of age concerns and the fact that he missed a little bit of time last year. But, um, you know, wide receiver 16 and points per game last year, despite a wide receiver 28 finish, the guy can still get it done it's pretty clear to me that this offense can sustain two very good fantasy receivers. And again, I think KJ Osborne has some opportunity this year. I guess, again, the downside with Dylan is he's getting up there in age a bit, but he doesn't have that much wear and tear because he didn't really get that many snaps early in his career. He didn't really have a breakout until he was like 27. So I'm not that concerned. I think Dylan's pretty safe. And if you can get a receiver with, you know, top 20, top 15 upside in your, Third round? Excuse me, eighth round? Go for it. Consistency, Thielen, uh, top 12, 30.8%, 11th highest rate. So Justin Jefferson had the third highest rate of top 12 finishes, and Adam Thielen had the 11th highest rate in top 12 finishes last year. That's pretty insane, both coming from the same team. Um, People think about, like, the Cowboys and the Bengals as maybe the Bucks as being teams to sustain two elite fantasy receivers, but the Vikings can do it. And they have. Um, Adam Thielen, uh, wide receiver 2, 15% of the time, 38th highest percentage. But that puts him in the top 24 at 46.2% of the time, and that's the 18th highest consistency rating amongst receivers. So another top 20 metric for Thielen as the second option in this offense. Uh, finished wide receiver 3, 15%. Had a higher bust rate than Jefferson by a lot, busting outside the top 36, 38.5% of the time that's where you see a little bit of that touchdown dependency, I would say. Um, but he, he feels good at his draft cost, I think, and he's going lower than he has in the last four years. So I'd take advantage of the dip, I would say. Um, I don't love taking guys that have the potential to drop off, but I think you're pretty safe with Dylan for at least one more year. K.J. Osborne, again, interesting guy that I think you can take a stab on super late in your drafts. He's going relatively undrafted in 10, 10 to 12 man leagues at 181 overall. More of a best ball guy because he did have some explosive, you know, deep, deep touchdowns last year where it was kind of hard to predict. But he was that third option and it would kind of sneak past the defense every now and then if they'd get distracted by uh, Jefferson or Dylan and played pretty well in the games that Dillon missed. Um, he's being drafted as a 72nd overall receiver this year. Um, after finishing wide receiver 40 last year. He was undrafted last year. Nobody really knew about him, but he carved out a, a very um, solid role as the third receiver on this team. He played a full 17 game season, finished 55th in points per game at the receiver position. Consistency ratings, you know, not much to write home about. Never finished top 12. Did finish uh, 35% of his games as a wide receiver two between 13 and 24 on the week. And that was the sixth highest percentage. So he did give you some pretty consistent uh, wide receiver two production. And I think, again, that goes with those games where he did see. Um, uh, expanded role and higher snap count, and obviously those games where he would catch you know, a long touchdown. Again, really good best ball option as maybe your last pick in your best ball drafts this year. Uh, top 24 finished 35% of the time, 29th highest rate in the NFL, never finished wide receiver three. So if he didn't finish wide receiver two, he busted out of the top 36 65% of the time. Again, super late. Like, I think that this. This offense is going to have three receivers on it more often than not. And I think we saw in L.A. um, guys like Van Jefferson, Tutu Atwell, Deshaun Jackson early in the season last year. Like they can sustain three receivers. And again, Van Jefferson's a really good guy for best ball because he's kind of a similar player to K.J. Osborne in that offense. Um, where you you had typically seen Cooper Cup and Robert Woods slash Odell Beckham be that one-two, and then Van Jefferson every now and then is going to catch a fucking 60-yard bomb. That's kind of Osborne's role here, at least it was last year. Let's round it out with Irv Smith. I'm not drafting him. I don't think you should either. Relatively unproven, and I don't think the tight end is the focal point in this offense. We have not seen massive production from tight ends in Sean McVay's offense. Tyler Higbee seems to be a guy that disappoints everyone every draft season. I'm not loving Herb Smith coming off an injury. He could be a very good player. I think he's very talented. I believe former second-round pick out of Alabama. Um, He could be a good player. I know a lot of people in the fantasy community are taking shots on him. I just prefer other tight ends that I've seen more from. He's being drafted tight end 16, 138 overall, did not play a snap last year, has the 14th easiest strength of schedule for tight ends. So if you think that Minnesota is going to feature the tight end, take a shot on it. If you think that he's going to be a red zone beast, take a shot on it. Personally, I see this team running it inside the five-yard line. And a majority of the touchdowns from the passing game going to Jefferson and Dillon. That's just me. Those are my thoughts. That's the Minnesota Vikings. I think they're an interesting team. I'm really excited to see what the offense looks like this year. Did not see myself really having this much of a stake in Kirk Cousins this year. But I guess I'm in for the ride. I don't know. I do like that over 8.5 wins. If you can get that, please shop around. Make sure you're always shopping around for your futures. If you guys have any questions, get at me, at SGRpod on Instagram and Twitter. I am going to end this one. We are going to come back with the Chicago Bears tomorrow. I'll try and keep a positive tone, but it might be hard because I don't think they're good. Thank you for listening. SGR 76 coming at you this weekend. Ramble on.